Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is the Chief Creative Officer of Deutsch New York. And we had a great lunch recently. It was a reunion with two old and dear friends, uh, Val DeFebo and Vonda Lepage at Deutsch. I was thrilled to meet you uh, at that lunch as well. Uh, you're about to embark on the next phase of your career, so we're going to cover an awful lot. I know in a couple months you're moving from one great shop, Deutsch New York, to another great shop in the same capacity as Chief Creative Officer of Ogilvy, New York. Lots of friends in both places. And we are delighted to welcome you here, Samira. So welcome. Thank you so much for letting me crash your lunch and now having me here. It's it's really an honor. I, I love listening to your podcast. Super insightful. Thank you. So uh, I'm sure Vanda asked you to say that. So no, I did listen and I and I said to her, oh my God, he like he does his research. He he goes to places that most people don't go. So it's it's great. Well, we we try. We have a crack research team here at Great Minds. So let's start by talking about art direction as the foundation of what has been a very prolific career. I mean, you have been at some of the great, great shops uh, across the world. And we're going to talk about going way back to the late 90s and Cummins and Partners in Australia and Melbourne. But I'd love to talk about art direction as a foundation for your career as a, as a creative, now a chief creative officer not the most typical background in many respects. It's true. I look, I went to design college, RMIT in Melbourne, which you know, which is the the place to go to in Australia if 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 you want to study design, but they offered um a year in advertising as 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 part of it and eventually it actually became a degree in, in creative advertising. So I understood then that I loved ideas as much as I loved art direction to, to the point of design because it's kind of design clashes with with thinking right which is what makes you an art director um and my first job you mentioned Cummins I think it's a good thing to talk about because I I had a great writing partner I was very young and and hungry and obnoxious all the things that that you are at 22 when you start a job you think you know everything and my my partner at the time after six months left because she wanted to travel the world again as Australians do right she went backpacking around Europe and they didn't get me a partner so for a, a long period of time I worked on my own which at the time I was very resentful for or about whatever the correct word is because I'm an art director um, but I you know I was up against senior teams working on these briefs and I was by myself and and I kept on saying what am I getting a writer and where's my new partner and it, it did force me to have to put my ideas down in writing and I am definitely not a natural writer English is my second language but I since then have learned that I need to be able to articulate a thought that's in my head in writing. And, you know, there's no way that I would sit here and say, I can write dialogue, you know, I can write the the, the best dialogue in scripts, but I can definitely put an idea down in on paper, um, even though I naturally fall into the art, comfortably into the art direction side. But I think it was a, a, a great exercise for me. And I, and I'm thankful that, that that happened to me. And I think they did that on purpose. So, often uh, a gap somewhere forces us to gain competency in an area where we're not, not comfortable with or as comfortable with. Sounds like that's what happened here. 
Absolutely. You know, another thing that I always say, people always ask me, um, I learned back then that it's actually the only time you're learning something about yourself or, or your skill sets is when you're uncomfortable. And I find that I constantly say, even when young people ask me, if, if you're comfortable in a position, then you're not really doing anything. There's nothing worse than being comfortable. So I do try, and as much as I hate it because it's uncomfortable, to be uncomfortable because then you're, you're pushing your limits, you know, and, and you'd be surprised, obviously, as we all know what you are capable of making yourself do. Absolutely. Let's stay here for just another second, because we're really now jumping ahead, give or take 25 years from when you started uh, back in Melbourne at Cummins and Partners. We're now in a real heyday for design, that the yeah. discipline of design, and I think some of that probably is owed to Steve Jobs and Apple and their evolution of design of product, but design is part of our industry now has really taken center stage. What's your take on the evolution of design as a focal point? You know, I think there was a there was a, a small dip. There was a period where people just forgot about it, um, but it it made such a big comeback. Even with Instagram, do you remember when Instagram became a thing and and, and things of beauty? I, again, I'm an art director, so maybe I'm biased, but I think when things look good and things pop off a page or off your screen or whatever, I think you have a better way of, in, of digesting it and taking it on. I mean, if, if even in my apartment, like as soon as I walk in and I open the door, my eye sort of rearranges things if they're not in the right position. Like I'm, I feel bad for my partner because if he puts his bag in the wrong spot, like I will move it and, and you know, put it somewhere else. So I think design is, I don't know, things, things are always better when they look better. And I think it's design is communication. So let's not forget, it's a hierarchy to it, right? So if it looks like a dog's breakfast, as we say in Australia and England, you don't digest it, you don't inhale it, you don't want more of it. But if it's arranged in a beautiful way that there's a hierarchy to it, um, the idea is stronger for it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And certainly elevated importance, I think, especially in the digital age. Absolutely. You know, we go back and we look at some of that early stuff and it all looked awful. And today that just won't fly. Right. I mean, if you go back in the early days, everything was beautifully crafted. You know, I mean, we I had my emerald out, you know, you had your, your, your loop and all that stuff, like things were crafted. Then there was that middle period where somehow craft went out the window because everyone everyone was just trying to do do things quickly. And now I think we've, you know, corrected for it. Um, yeah, it's great. I think you're right. So there are a couple of things that shape us all, you know, our parents, our environment, our school and our youth no matter what we may say or think the things that happen to us when we're a young person stay with us forever and really shape who we are you had uh one hell of a start growing up in iran during the revolution leaving when you were about 12 but those memories and those experiences i'm sure stay with you to this very day talk about that experience you ended up i guess by luck of the draw in Australia, I'm friendly with a lot of expats from Iran, a lot of people settled not too far from where I grew up. I grew up in Queens, but in neighboring Great Neck, that became a very big community for yeah. expats. And my uh, late father-in-law was an orthodontist and actually one day was approached to do the kids of the Shah of Iran. There you go. Uh, and he declined because they wanted them to clear the office of all other patients and they were very democratic and felt they couldn't do that. 
But that population in particular, very, very important, right where I still live today. Talk about that experience and how that stayed with you and shaped you. That's a really good question. You know, we, I mentioned earlier being uncomfortable. I think I learned at a young age what that felt like because at 12, I was thrown into a school system in Australia. So think of it this way. One day you're in a, bo a bomb bunker under the, the building because there's air raids going on and you have a getaway bag. Then the next day you go to the airport, your parents tell you not to say where you're going because you're essentially escaping the country you know, that you get on a plane and you're crossing your fingers that you're not going to get pulled off a plane because that happened to us a couple of times. Eventually, the plane takes off and you see the relief in your parents. You still don't know what's going on. We went via Japan, which which visually blew my mind, right? We landed in Tokyo. We spent a week in Tokyo. And as a 12-year-old, it was like something I'd never seen before. And then we landed in the suburbs of Australia. The plane landed. And, you know, we landed in Melbourne, Australia. And we looked out the window and it's just greenery right and my mom was like oh my god what have we done like where is the town because we went from one of the most dense sort of populated cities in the world to this beautiful almost country like city and then I you know then I went to school I was telling um one the other day my first day of school I showed up I didn't speak in English and bird shot on my head as I was walking in and I had no idea what was going on to the extent that I um very sort of you know I like to talk and it was very difficult when you can't communicate on in the first class because the first day of school is in the summer in Australia they were taking nominees for the swimming um competition and I apparently enrolled myself in every single event and not realizing what the hell was going on someone said do you swim and I'm like yeah so I put my hand up and I was in every single well, and Australia, it's, it's competitive with swimming. So anyway, I, I just learned to be uncomfortable because I had no idea what was going on. But after a year, I had a group of friends. I spoke the language and life was amazing. So, you know, 10 years later, I get a call saying, hey, do you want to work in Paris? And I'm like, why not? Let's do it again. So I did it all over again. I landed in France. I didn't speak any French. And honestly, I think I thought that, ah, it's not going to be too difficult to learn French. I learned English when I was 12 and I actually found that more difficult than I expected. But it's it's fun to do that. Now I'm used to it. <laughs> you just throw yourself off the end and see what happens. <laughs> so it sounds like what stayed with you is a comfort with being uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. So you end up working for a series of some of the greatest names in advertising. Y&R, you end up at J. Walter Thompson, no longer with us, sadly. Uh, I lament the loss of some of those great names and agencies. Leo Burnett, Shiat Day, uh, FCB, and ultimately yeah. ending up at Deutsch and now soon heading to Ogilvy. That's a pretty great career for someone who's still pretty young, accomplished an awful lot, lived in a bunch of places, which we'll come back to. But did you know when you were younger that you wanted to be in this field or was it a happy accident? Ah, the story. It, it was a complete, it was a happy accident. Being Iranian, parents are very academic. Um, you know, I was a math major and a science major through high school. Um, and I remember going to open days at universities, as you do, to kind of see the, the the departments. And it was a complete and utter accident that we went to the engineering department. And I remember seeing this robot that was stacking these boxes. 
um, these cubes and this robotic arm was sort of stacking them. And everyone was eyeing and arming over it because the, the, the science kids had like programmed this robot. And it's a big thing now that I think back going, wow, yes, first year university students, but they spend the whole day programming a bloody robot to stack four boxes. And I just remember panicking going, I don't think this is for me. And so we got lost and we ended up in the design department purely by accident. And I was with my dad and I'm like, oh, this feels so much better. There was paint on the walls and people had cool hair and uh, just everyone was different. There was music and it was, you know, kind of chaotic. And I just remember leaving that room kind of going, that's where I belong. And it was a happy accident. And I didn't tell my parents I changed all my university nominations. Um, and somehow with a really crappy portfolio that I put together in a week, I managed to get into a degree that really changed the course of my life. Otherwise, I would have been perhaps an architect or an engineer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a veterinarian until I took science and I was awful in biology. And that ended my uh, would-be career as a veterinarian. I'd love to reflect on the journey from your early foundation. And we talked about art direction and design and the beauty of things. The remit to become a group creative director and ultimately a chief creative officer is considerably broader. Talk about that evolution from your core comfort level, if you will, and background in art and design to a much broader set of creative crayons, if you will, that have to be used to do great work for clients, as has been your hallmark including, of course, the work that you've done at Deutsch. Look, I think as you travel through your, your trajectory in industry, the older you get, the more responsibilities you get. You, you exercise different muscles. And I, I kind of realized earlier on that, that I like the idea of problem solving. I always have. And so you, I, I gravitate towards that. And so that means that I started to meet more clients. I was interested in their business. And the the more I, I sort of started to interact with clients and understand strategy and all of that, the, the more it interested me. And it's a different, you know, there's different skill sets, different personalities. I know some great writers that just want to be writers and they're really, really good at it. Whereas I think for me, it, it became more interesting to to manage a big problem with a group of people and be able to, to extract the best thinking out of the creatives and to be able to sit at a table with a client and really work out what their problem is. So it, it, it naturally happened that way because you, again, get comfortable at something and you're like, oh, what else can I do? Or what else can I learn? Or where can I go? That's a little uncomfortable that I don't normally do. And, and I naturally just did that. And I'm still trying to do that. That's a great answer. Let's talk about culture for a second. Uh, you're part of a great, great culture that Val's created at uh, Deutsch New York, you know, Linda before her, you know, we've been really, really uh, great friends with uh, Deutsch New York and, and Vonda, who's been with us since we started Advertising Week 20 some odd years ago. So we've been sort of friends, you know, along for the ride together. What I've always observed about Deutsch and the New York office in particular is a tremendous attention and a very unique culture that really inspires, that has led to great work, uh, and has also attracted, you know, a lot of wonderful, talented people over the years from top to bottom at the agency. Talk about culture, not only at Deutsch, but you've also seen a lot of different cultures from YNR to Burnett to Shia to FCB on and on and on. And I imagine you took a little bit from all of them. Uh, but I'd love to get your comments on the culture 
broadly and differences that you've seen from place to place. We'll talk city to city in a minute, but let's talk place to place. Let me talk about Deutsch to begin with, because I am blown away at at what Val has created here, and and the only way I can, the only analogy I can I can make, the only thing I can compare it to is 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 almost the best of New York. You come to New York and you expect it to be this big impersonal place, and it's actually not. It's a very, it feels huge, but small at the same time because there's a sense of community and 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 people are lovely and people have each other's backs and there's an energy to it there's a speed and agility to it so i think i think deutsch has the same culture i think it, it it it's a reflection of of i guess val and donnie before her right new yorkers real new yorkers uh, they um she she she's from the bronx and you can see that like she tells you tells it like it is there's a grit to it there's an honesty to it there's compassion there um, all of that is here, and there's a. Re- I remember when I first got here, and I was sort of making my way through meeting all the all the different Deutsches. It blew my mind that so many people had been here for so many years. You know, like that some people have been here for thirty years, twenty five years, seventeen years. Creatives have been here some some of them their entire career. Like that is rare, and I say that as someone who's skipped it every four or five years. You know, has has changed agencies. So that that's the thing that I love about the culture of Deutsch: the fact that that people haven't felt. The need to leave, to grow, to learn—that's um, a big thing to get opportunities in one agency. You know, I started so my very first gig. You mentioned Cummins and Partners. It was a founder-led sort of, you know, very creative hot shop in Australia, and so that was my—that's in my DNA, I think, in advertising. And and from there, I've been. You're right. I've been in some of the bigger, bigger global networks, and I've been at places like Johannes Leonardo, again, founder-led, super creative friends of mine that that started that agency. And I think with every move, I've learned something and I've seen how the big machines can operate and still have an amazing culture. And I think I'm about to go to Ogilvy and I, and everyone keeps talking about their culture and from the outside in, it does look like a super rich culture with a lot of history that goes all the way back to David Ogilvy, right? They're just celebrating 75 years. And then there's the the the, the other agencies, there's the smaller independent ones that also have um, their own culture. Um, there's good and bad in both but I think I've 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 picked picked up what I what's worked for me along the way and I've dragged it along with me but I think you know be good to people obviously is a given um and the best places do that in whatever way they decide to do it yeah I I love what you said about Val and couldn't agree more you know and New Yorkers in general we have such a tough reputation but people in New York are really nice and yeah. and we do walk with our heads down. We are busy. We do move quickly because those that's how you survive in New York. You know, this right. is not a place where you're getting in your car and driving from one numbered parking space to another. You know, right. everything here involves a series of thoughts and moves and strategy. And, you know, there's a lot more you have to deal with simply because of the density of New York. And that's what makes and gives New York so much of its energy is the density and the diversity of New York. But it doesn't mean we're not nice. Oh, it's, it's very, I saw an article the other day, it made me smile. It was the way New Yorkers um, crossed, the, crossed the road. And it was an image of six people standing in the middle of an intersection. You know, it's like, who can, who can, who can go first? And it's true. Like you're busy, you're doing things, you're thinking of a number of things. You're trying not to get hit by a bike. But that doesn't mean if someone asks you for directions, you're not going to stop and give it to them wholeheartedly. Like, let me pull out my Google Maps and tell you where you have to go. And I now count myself a New Yorker after 15 years. I hope I'm not offending anyone. But that's what I love about 
yeah. New York. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get in a car and drive to, to, to somewhere to get a coffee. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like one big game of Frogger out there. You know, right. I, I do have a problem anytime I'm in the city where it's one of these places where you have to wait to cross the street if oh. there's no cars coming. I always have a hard time with that, but I try to respect the culture wherever I am, uh, certainly. Uh, so let's talk about three great cities, Melbourne, Paris, and New York. You've lived in all of them. You've worked in all of them. New York, I know, has been your home since you came over, I guess, from Paris uh, to join the Saatchi team. Were you in 375 Hudson? That's a very interesting story. I, I reported to Saatchi New York, which was the, the famous Hudson building, right. but I was based in Paris, so I would come oh, occasionally. okay. And then, so JWT was your first gig in New York. Exactly. Okay, okay, we got it right. So talk about reflections on those three cities. Um, well, that's a good question. Melbourne is a is a really, believe it or not, a very cool city. There's an amazing food, music, design, art, culture, um, some great advertising people come out of Australia. I think the advertising scene in general over there is super rich. Um, and I, I loved it. It's still home. You know, I, I romanticize it because I haven't been there for 20 years now, but I, I go home every year and I love it. Um, Paris, oh my God, like who wouldn't want to live in Paris? Paris at the age of 29 for, for five years. And it was a great time because there was no Netflix and I still had a flip phone. And so, you know, I, I was forced to go and sit in a bar and make friends. And I did, you know, there was a really interesting creative expat culture that I tapped into. Um, and it was a great time. I remember it was the era of, of TBWA in Paris that was doing all that amazing work and my friends worked there and it, you know, it was cool. I was young um, you know, I only slept two or three hours a night and I was okay. Cause I could do that. <laughs> um, but it was, it's a, it's a, it's a tough city, but again, it's like New York, it gets under your skin and you fall in love with it. And it's pretty poetic and amazing and creative. And then I, then I came to New York and again, it, New York was Paris in English. Oh my God, how amazing, you know, it got even better. And now I'm too old to move, so I'm sticking around. <laughs> All right, well, we, we, li we like having you in New York. Uh, I, I happen to agree with your statement about Australia. Our event there, Advertising Week APAC, is in Sydney. Uh, but we've been to Melbourne. Uh, it's a great, great creative city, an international city. It's a great sports city. It's why all the big sporting events are in Melbourne. Sydney is uh, much less so in that regard. Uh, and it's one of the few cities in the world where you can experience all four seasons in a day. It's a very, exactly. very interesting place and their influence globally in creative industry, they punch way above their weight, both the cities and the country on the whole. That's true. That's true. Yeah, great. We, we have some good exports, huh? Great, great, Listen, great place. If, if we also take credit for good New Zealanders, um, unless they do something wrong, you know, like Russell Crowe for a long time for a long time was an Aussie and then he threw a phone at someone and oh no, no he was from New Zealand you know so we we do steal their limelight yeah, they also <laughs> punch above their weight in creative industry they yeah they do they have amazing people yeah very much so we talked about culture earlier but you're one of few that I can think of who has spent time at IPG owned shops at publicist owned shops at Omnicom owned shops. What am I missing? Am I missing any? WPP, WPP. you're about to join. Uh, I all. guess we missed Havas, right? 
Yeah, no way. I'm done about no. That's it. That's the only one. Right, or well, or that's who I guess. <laughs> so talk about differences between them. What you've seen on the holding company. It's not a gossip show. We're not looking for any dirt per se. But what have you seen that's notable between the two? All notable for culture. Very different shops. God, it's a tough question. It's a tough question. Um, okay, well, look, I can start with publicists or publicists. I do, as someone who lived in France, I, I see the, the French influence um, in the way they, they go about things. Um, it's not a bad thing. You know, I, I, I see it maybe a little more than the average person would, but I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I, I don't know how to push them apart because I think things are cyclical, cyclical in our industry and maybe at, at, at a parent company does one thing but it, it does end end up happening to all of them all of, you know if somebody lands on a way of doing something whether it's merging or or pulling media apart or bring it back and and everybody else ends up having the same offering so to me it's always been and maybe I've been at a lower level I don't know I don't I, you know I, I don't know I, I can't pull them apart I just do remember feeling the Frenchness in the in the publicist system so whether it was Saatchi or, or Leo Burnett or what have you Okay, well, 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 well so let's take. Giving you a good answer. Yeah, we'll Sorry. take it. We'll take it, and and let's let's move on. Y you've done some great, great creative work, and your career sort of coincides with the birth of and rise of all the technology-driven change that has really reshaped the industry. Give us your take on the journey that you've been on creatively alongside a landscape underneath you that has changed so much driven by technology. I'm such a huge fan of technology and change. And it goes back to, again, just being uncomfortable. Like, I, I'm, I'm not afraid of it. I think, I think a lot of times like AI, oh, you know, like, well, fuck, just embrace it and, and see what it can do for you. I don't think anything's ever really going to, maybe in my lifetime anyway, replace the humanity and that, that, that thing that we all have, whatever, however, the way we want to phrase it so then then it just becomes an interesting tool that you can play with um play with it experiment with it see what happens and i and i and and i as creatives like why wouldn't you do that you know it's another toy um so i'm not i've never been afraid of it i i find it really fascinating and i'm really bad at getting my head around it but i ask questions and i look foolish but i am truly interested and enough to be able to you know pull my sleeves up and and, and get involved and i hope that now I have a two-year-old and the way I look at it is like, okay, I have to do this now, constantly do this. And I, and I think it's refreshing to, I have a couple of stepkids that are a little older. So through them, I was always, you know, trying to understand how TikTok worked or, or Snapchat and, and all of that. And now I have a two-year-old, so I want to stay ahead of it and, and be around for another 20 years. Uh, absolutely. So talk about the creative challenge that you have of doing great work in a very changing media landscape. You know, consumer behavior has changed so dramatically. What we watch, when we watch it. You know, I used to, I still commute in from uh, Long Island where I live. And I remember not too long ago, if you forgot the newspaper, you could always find one, you know, on a, in a vacant seat. And you'd grab that copy of the Post or the News or the Times or, you know, in Long Island Newsday. Now you see no newspapers, you know, and yeah. I, I swore I would never be one of those people 
that reads on the phone. And now I'm one of those people that reads on the phone. I am too. I gave up my my physical because I had the pile of New York Times in the corner of the apartment. And my partner would say, you're wasting paper. And I'm like, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And now I have a digital subscription right. and I read as, it. As do, as do so many of us. So talk about that journey because the landscape for media and consumer behavior has changed so dramatically since those early days when you were you know, working in the art department at Cummins. It has. It, it truly has. But it comes down to, you know, we, we connect with consumers, right, so, for lack of a better word. So you back then you used to watch television. We'd all come together and sit on the couch together. And I remember with my family, we'd all get together and watch X-Files. And now whether it was the show or the, the commercials, if it touched you, it touched you. Um, if you read something in a newspaper or whatever, so I, we're still in in that business. We're still telling stories, touching uh, touching people, making them cry, making them feel something. Now, whether it's through a thirty second TikTok or a six second dance or what, you know, the the fundamentals haven't changed, but the way we do it has changed, and I'm okay with that. You know, I, you're right. The skill sets that you require are different, um, but there's this. You still need to. You still need to communicate. So we talk about our direction. It still needs to look a certain way. I just think the way you have to do it now is different. No question. And Samira, over the years, you've worked on so many great pieces of work. Is there anything that stands out that, you know, you look back on particularly fondly and say, that was really a great, great campaign, a great piece of work, a great idea in general and in particular during your tenure at Deutsch? From Deutsch, um, <clears throat> we did a very interesting, we uh, we made a very interesting film for Village MD, which is a, a new offering um, by Walgreens for primary care. And essentially they're, you know, they're reinventing the way you you see a doctor. And I can, I can wax poetic about this for ages, but we met their founders, actual doctors that are passionate about changing this broken system that exists in this country. And, and I can talk about that for hours too. Um, but think of it this way. They have this model now where your, your doctor is almost like your old school doctor that you go to. They coordinate everything for you. Everything is housed over there. It's not up to you to walk around with your own pieces of inf you know, information and connect the dots with your, with your specialists and your doctors. They do it for you. But obviously there's data and, and technology behind all that. Um, what we found was that we, this piece of film that we made actually managed to talk to both sides both the medical professionals that, that that worked at these practices as well as the audience out there that was seeing these practices because we found that both ends were unhappy. Doctors weren't able to do their own jobs and patients were not getting the best service. So I actually found that journey very fascinating and, and, and learning about it was, was super cool. Um, because as somebody who obviously is an Australian who, for example, lived in France with an amazing health system when I landed in the US, to this day, it still bothers me and, and I'm back baffled by it, um, that we're lucky that we have insurance and, and what have you. But I tore my corneas last week, um, whole other story. And I went to the emergency room. They sent me somewhere else. Then they sent me somewhere else. And I was literally blindly going from Uber to one place to another. And they were like, I'm sorry, I don't know who sent you here, but you're in the wrong place. It was the weirdest experience, you know, and I'm capable. So imagine if, if I was older or if I didn't speak English. So anyway, I think that Village MD was, for me, a very interesting piece that we made here and then from other agencies i think you know the work we did for cotex way back in the day um at jwt again it was kind of a no-brainer it's like why are you talking to women like this still this is you know 
2000 and whatever. And then recently we did Macaroon versus Macaroon as a tennis fan. Oh my God, to, to do that. Um, that was wild. And then to, to win an Emmy for it, that was again, wild. So you, there's a lot. <laughs> That's fantastic. And talk about the decision to leave one great place and go to another. Uh, I'm going to assume that somebody came after you and you got made, as they say in the old uh, Godfather, an offer you couldn't refuse in a good way. But that had to be a tough decision to go from one great shop to what is also another great shop. Absolutely. It's it's never easy. And everybody's wonderful and there's so many talented people. And you're right. I, I did get and I'm I God, I'm so grateful and, and really lucky um for, for this to be where I'm at because you know I you work for 25 years and you don't know where you're going to land but I've had a couple of really good years and because of that I've I've received a couple of phone calls and this was one of those offers where oh I couldn't say no to it and I remember talking to Val about it and she was like oh that sounds oh you can't say no to that and it was exactly that so very gracious of her and Deutsch I learned so much here I learned how to be a CEO and I went oh I can do this because you walk into a gig not knowing whether or not it's the right thing for you. Um, do you have the skill sets to do it? Are you good at it? Like, can you motivate people, inspire people, run a department? So I actually had a great time here. I learned so much. And so now I can go into a bigger place knowing that I've done it once and maybe I can do it on a larger scale. Absolutely fantastic story. And I think the most important measure of success, which isn't always talked about, is your ability to develop and nurture talent. And Deutsch sort of has always scored well on both sides. They've developed, nurtured, and retained a lot of talent. But another measure of success are alumni uh, like yourself who started or had spent part of their career there and then have gone on to greater accomplishment. That's just as important a badge of honor and success and says an awful lot about the agency, about the leadership of the agency, uh, in this case, Val and the team there. And uh, it sounds like you're going from strength to strength and uh, really enjoyed this chance to have you here on Great Minds and, and get to know you a little bit better beyond our lunch conversation with Val and Vonda. Thank you very much for having me. Fantastic. Thanks so much.